You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Good morning. It is always a privilege to be up here and to preach. Um, So this morning, we're going to talk about the exile. This is a time in Israel's history where they were taken as captives, as slaves, to Babylon. And it's, it's a pretty long story, talking about 80 years of history. So this morning, we're going to have story time with Elliot. Right? And we're going to go through it all. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, in our family, I'm not the one that does story time in the evenings. My Laura is really good. You know, like, she's reading Lord of the Rings, and she does, like, all the voices differently, like, for all the characters. It's, it's amazing. And I'll take the little boys in the bedroom and try to put them to sleep. And I'll get through Dr. Seuss. And by the time I'm, like, on my second or third book, I'm like, uh, good night, moon. Good, good night. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm, I, I think this week I fell asleep twice reading to them. So I, I, who, who made that up, like, do story time, like, late at night? Like, morning time is uh, way better. So I, uh, I hope you got coffee. I hope I don't put you to sleep. Um, let's talk about the exile. So, A long, long, long time ago, in the land of Israel, there was King David and his son, Solomon. And David and Solomon, they ushered in the golden age of Israel. I know this is a little bit before the exile, but I want to back up and give you some context because it's really important. And uh, we read about this golden age of Israel and 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And it says in uh, verse 1, chapter 5, that Solomon finished building the house of the Lord, the temple. And he, Solomon prays. He said, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who by his hand has fulfilled what he promised by the mouth of David. And you read through chapter 6, and the theme is God is fulfilling all of his promises everything's coming to pass, and worship, worship, worship. They're sacrificing tens of thousands of animals, and you get the feel that everything is perfect for this moment. Israel is dwelling in safety and security on its borders. The country is wealthy, prosperous. The kingdom is secure, and here's the temple that he just finished. Phil walked us through the temple so wonderfully uh, two weeks ago and everything was in place the priests were doing what they were supposed to be doing the king was doing what he was supposed to be doing there was just national gratitude and worship to God and you get this sense the end of chapter six that Jerusalem is like this picture of paradise it's like perfect and you get to chapter seven of Second Chronicles, and it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, a prayer of gratitude and praise and a, just a heart of love for God, 
It's like beautiful. It's like, this is it. This is it right here, right? And what happens? We sang that song. Praise is a highway for the move of God. So you ready? What happens? Fire came down from heaven. Here's all the people in front of the temple. Solomon's at the front of the temple giving this prayer and this speech. And then fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of God fills the temple. Wow. Not only is like everything perfect, but it's like, it's like the garden. It's like God is with them. He's with his people. He's walking with them. And you get to the end of chapter 7, and God personally comes to Solomon, and he says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, if you keep all my commands, then I'm going um, to establish my covenant with you, and I will be with you, and I'll bless you. But, Verse 19 of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles. But if you turn aside and for, forsake my commandments, then I will pluck you from my land and I will cast you from my sight. It's like the garden, right? God's not going to tolerate sin. So he warns him. And uh, I, I don't watch the Oscars. Uh, this is just not of my interest, but... Um, I think you all remember when, uh, I watched the afterwards on YouTube because it, it was good entertainment, right? When Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, right? And then um, he got up and said, he, uh, I think Denzel Washington said to him, he said, at your highest moments, watch out because that's when the devil comes for you. Right? And so Solomon, he's experiencing everything. Like this, even like a literary renaissance was going on in Israel, like, uh, the Proverbs were being written and the Song of Solomon was being written and it was just like prosperity. But what happens? You know, power, sex, money, it all goes to your head. And sadly, what God said, if you turn aside, I'm going to pluck you from the land. My blessing is going to be removed. And that's exactly what happened in Solomon's life. Just slope downward by the end of his life he's literally bowing down to idols like what what happened and between david and the time of the exile there's about 25 some kings and one by one with few exceptions the whole nation turns away from god and uh, we read in uh Jeremiah chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. Actually, if you'd like to turn anywhere, we're going to camp out in Lamentations chapter 3. So you'd like to turn there in your uh, Bible app, uh, in your copy of the Scriptures, Lamentations chapter 3. Before, um, this was the decades leading up to the exile, um, the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah. And God's sending prophets to Israel. He sent Isaiah first, and then he sent Jeremiah. And uh, let me read to you Jeremiah chapter 7. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He said, stand at the gate of the Lord's house, right where Solomon was standing, right at the front of the, the temple, and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah. 
who entered the gates of, to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways, your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this land. This was happening for hundreds of years. God was pleading with them. Turn back to me. And he, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they detail Israel's sin. All the social injustice, all the corruption of the kings and the priests and how they abused the fatherless and the widows, how they did not keep the Sabbath. And the tone in chapter 7, it changes. God's saying, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. And then we get down to verse 20. Jeremiah 7, 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man, upon beasts, upon trees of the fields, and upon the food of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. God's saying, okay, enough is enough, right? I have warned you time and time again for literally hundreds of years. God has been slow to anger. He's been patient with them. He says, Continue in Jeremiah 7. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent you my servants, the prophets, day after day. Yet the people did not listen to me or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks. So sometimes when we read Isaiah and Jeremiah and these Old Testament prophets, we think, Man, it's just like so vengeful and wrath and anger. It's like, what's up with, what's up with all this? And we, we have these rose-colored lenses. We think, oh man, why does God have to be so angry? Let's for a moment understand how gnarly Israel's sin was. It says in verse 30, the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set up detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. So literally, in Solomon's temple, during Jeremiah's ministry, they were setting up idols in the temple and doing all sorts of like cultish practices in the temple. And it gets worse. And they have built up the high places of Toeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinoim, burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Child sacrifice. Is there such a dark and uh, depressing and degrading practice other than Child sacrifice? Um, something, a practice that just mocks God more than child sacrifice? And we know from history that the, the Amorites, the Canaanites, this was a widespread practice in, the, in this area. And um, we, all throughout history, um, even you know, to this day, um, you know, we know that the, the Aztecs sacrificed their children, the Romans not so much sacrifice, but just for convenience sake, threw their female daughters away. And the Christians would go and rescue female children. We 
the, you know, communist government in China has executed so many children. But I think if there has been a people group in history, I would wager that has perpetuated this practice, this nasty, dark practice more than any other people group, I'd wager it's us, Americans. So we can look at this, all these nasty things that the prophets are saying, that Isaiah and Jeremiah are saying, and be like, beware, beware, beware. But it's like, we do this. We have tolerated this. Lord, forgive us. Our land is full of blood. God, even myself, we are so passive about injustice. God, be merciful to this country. Be merciful to this land. Lord, we deserve to be plucked up and be thrown away from your presence. We deserve for you to remove your blessing from us. Be merciful, God. Turn our hearts back to you, Lord. We pray for revival for this land, Lord. It's no amount of money or, or political maneuvering is going to solve this issue. God, it's a spiritual issue that we need revival in this land. Forgive us. Forgive us our many sins. So, Jeremiah 7, the big point is, enough is enough. Your sin is grievous to me. You're doing this nasty practices, um, degrading and enough is enough. And so, my first point, and Phil mentioned this, is in every story, in every part of Israel's history, as we're reading the Old Testament, you know, sometimes it's, you know, when we read Jesus, Jesus says, be generous. He says, you know, love your enemies, do this and that. It's very clear. Okay, we're supposed to do that. But reading the Old Testament, we don't get like these kind of like, New Testament commands, this is how we're supposed to live. Uh, But we see God's character, and we're supposed to be conformed to his character, and we're, because we're made, we're made in the likeness of God, we have God in us, he breathed into us the breath of life. And so we're constantly asking ourselves, how can I be like God? And so I want to, how do we see God's character and I think we see God's, like from this Jeremiah 7, this whole story, we see this, and it's summarized really well in Exodus 34. God comes to Moses and says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what God's done for Israel. Since Solomon all the way to the exile, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. He sent them the prophets. He's like a father, like working with you. But, verse goes on, but he will not by no means clear the guilty. So he's saying, there comes a time when I'm going to work with you. I'm relational. I'm slow to anger. But I will punish injustice. I will discipline you. I'm not just going to tolerate it. We tolerate sin. God's not going to tolerate sin. He's going to deal with it head on. And that's what happens in the story of the exile. 
So that first point is, are we like God? Do we have that character? Patient, slow to anger. But at the same time, are we, are we not tolerating sin? So this is the challenge to any parent, any, any leader, right? You don't want to ignore issues, let things get bad with your children or uh, your workplace. You want to, you want to address issues. God, God, God's not tolerant, passive about garbage, you know, that's going on in this world. He's addressing it. He's working with us, slow to anger. And the, but there comes a time where we have to address it with punishment. Are we conforming to God's character? In every story, every time, every period of Israel's history, we see God's character coming out. So, what happens in our story of the exile? God says, enough is enough. What's going to happen? You go to the very last chapter of Jeremiah, chapter um, 52. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 11 years as in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as, as all that of uh, Jehoiakim, that was his father. For because of the anger of the Lord, things came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them from his presence. Enough is enough. Just like I promised, I prophesied to Solomon that this would happen, I'm going to take you and cast you from my land. So what happened? In the 15th month, in the 10th day of the month, the 19th year, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. He burned down the house of the Lord, Solomon's temple. He burned down the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, all the great houses he burned down. He broke down the walls of Jerusalem. He took away the gold, all the articles in the temple, and everything was lost. Everything. Everything we saw in the golden age of Israel's history under David and Solomon, the wealth, the temple, the priest, it was all gone. This is the lowest point in Israel's history. Just devastated. And it says in this chapter that they took the king and they gouged his eyes out. They bound him with rope. They bound up the people of Jerusalem with rope. And they marched them all the way up northern Israel, all the way to Syria, to the Euphrates, and then all the way down to the city of Babylon. And Psalm 137 kind of records the people, what it was like as they entered Babylon. The Psalm says, By the waters of Babylon right there on the banks of the Euphrates River, down sitting in the dirt. We sat there and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows, on the willow trees, there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let the, my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not make Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the, the Babylonians, the day of Jerusalem when they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, tear it down to its foundations. So here they are with nothing. Slaves again, as they were in Egypt. In the dirt, by the banks of the river, the joy, the worship is gone. And we're going to spend some time in Lamentations chapter 3. And I'd encourage you to turn there. Um, Lamentations really captures the heart of the message of the exile. Really, what is God trying to tell us through this whole event? So there's the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Lamentations. This is a book, five poems, that are all just laments. The people lamenting as they're in Babylon. Chapter 3. Follow along with me if you like. Chapter 3 of Lamentations. Probably the prophet Jeremiah writing this. We don't know. Probably. But this, uh, it says this. Chapter 3. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. God is doing this. This whole thing. God is allowing it. He's doing it. He's bringing wrath, discipline onto his people. He has driven and brought me into darkness without light. And this, verses 4 through 9, the, the poetry, the image is of a man who has been buried alive. Buried alive in a tomb. Chained up. Maybe some of you have been there. We've all been through trauma, loss in our life. I hope, I hope none of you have been enslaved, even though there's, it happens these days. Horrible situations like this. But let this verse empathize with the times in your life. Maybe you're in that time right now in your life. Let this passage empathize with the trauma that you've been through. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call for help, He has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my ways with stone. Like you're in the, a tomb among the dead, rotting. There was, this was about three years ago, um, when we were just 
one evening when we, we lived in India, and uh, my mom called me on the phone, and she had called me three times over the course of those eight years when we were in India, and I knew it was bad when she would say, hey, Elliot, how are you doing? Hey, where are you at? Are you at home? Like, yeah, mom, I'm at home. Uh, are you by yourself? I'm like, yeah. Why don't you go sit down by yourself? And um, the first time she called me, she t- told me my be- best friend in um, my senior year of high school passed away, was killed in Kabul in Afghanistan. Um, and then she called again uh, a few years later, told me my cousin's husband passed away tragically, suddenly, and then she called me again. And she said, uh, hey, are you at home by yourself? Why don't you go sit, sit some, down somewhere? I was like, oh, great. I don't want to hear this. And she told me my, my best friend died, along with his two daughters. And I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm the only one in this room that's been through trauma, you know, been through grief, loss. Um, and, but uh, yeah, I was devastated. Devastated. And over the course of the next few weeks, as I was just in, in eternal agony, I, um, I found Lamentations 3. And the chapter kind of, it, it sympathized with my agony I was going through. And I even, I took this picture, this dark picture of the barn where my friend and his two daughters, they, where they died, they died in the barn. And I, um, I overlaid Lamentations 3 um, over this picture to kind of remember to remember them and process. Lamentations 10. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 10. And this is how I felt. He is a bear, God. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my step, and he tore me to pieces. Like God is a wild animal. Verses 12 through 13. It's like God is a, an archer. He bent his bow and set me as the target of his arrows. He drove into my heart the arrows of his quiver. God is doing this. Verse 15. He has filled me with bitterness. He has slated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Oh God. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Verse 
Which brings me to our, our second point. In every season of Israel's history, in every story that we've been through, when Israel is broken under the weight of their guilt and sin, when there's an individual who is crying out for God, this is the repeated story in the Old Testament. When the people cry out for God, God, help us, we've sinned. Come, rescue us. What happens? It seems like in this story that they're ready just to be done. Like, just, just like, like, be done with Yahweh, be done with God. Like, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. We are not going to hope in the Lord anymore. We just forget about this thing. Here they are, a few thousand people maybe in Babylon. And they're like, we're done with this religion, this past, this thing. We're just done. And uh, in 1940s sometime, uh, the Indian government did a survey of all the people groups in India. They found about 1,800 distinct languages, and people groups with their own distinct customs, uh, history, uh, and language. And then you fast forward to modern day um, when they did another survey of people groups in India, only about 1,200. So what happened to that five or 600 people groups with their own languages and culture and customs? They're gone. And that's what happens in history. People groups come, they thrive, their civilization happens for a few hundred years, and then they dissolve. They, they get morphed into another civilization. And they lose their language. That's what should have happened to Israel and Babylon. They should have just been wiped off the map. Like, we're done with this Yahweh worship, we're done with the Hebrew language, we're done with just our people group. Remember, O oh God, our affliction on our wonderings. Our second point is, God always redeems His people. God always is faithful to His covenant. He never gives up. They give up on themselves. We give up on our own problems. We give up on our marital problems. We give up on our, these issues. God is faithful, even when we are faithless. Look at verse 21. Verse 20. My soul continually remembers it, and I am bowed down within me. The lowest point in Israel's history, right here. But then what happens? Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, His covenant faithfulness, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. He's going to be faithful. This situation, I mean, they're done. Here they are, slaves in the dirt. 
And God is going to remind them, I will be faithful to you. Verse 31, the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. This is the story of the Old Testament. Do you see it? Do Do you feel it in your own life? That's the bigger question. God wants to work redemption in your life. Where there's ashes, where there's bondage, where there's just destruction in your life, God wants to step into those areas and say, salvation is here. We give up. We give up. We give up on this relationship or these marital issues. We give up on hoping for this or that that God would do in our lives. But God's hand is outstretched. He says, I want to redeem you and save you. That's the story of the the Old Testament and the New Testament. Restoration, salvation, redemption. That's the story of Lamentations. Even though they were utterly depressed, the saddest, most passages in the Scripture, right in the middle of it, God says, my steadfast love is not going to abandon you. I want to ask the question even deeper. Why does God do this? Why does God, why did God do the exile? Why does God send hardships into our lives? Hebrews 12 goes into a little bit more detail. Hebrews 12 says this. Hebrews 12, 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Israel, God's saying in exile, you feel like slaves in the dirt. And you are reaping the punishment of your sin. But guess what? You're still my son. Do you forget the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For God is treating you as sons. This is what Papa God does. He treats you with discipline, because he loves you. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If If I discipline my son, and I do, my sons, and if I do it without relational connection, the discipline, it doesn't work so well. There's just a knee-jerk reaction. But if I discipline and they know that I'm connecting with them, and throughout the week, other times, I'm connecting with them emotionally, if they know, my dad did this, my dad's over here, he'd always say to me, he's saying, I'm spanking you because I love you. And he'd say that almost every time before he spanked me. (laughs) Because that's right. You have to have... If you don't have that father 
love when you, when you go through a hard time, guess what? You'll end up not receiving the discipline. You'll harden your heart. It won't be received. You'll think, he's just torturing me. He's just being mean, right? But if there's love plus discipline, there's, there's God's treating you as a son. And this is our, the third point that we've been reiterating in this sermon, this sermon series. God is relational. He wants to be your papa. He, it says in this verse, in Hebrews 12, he is the father of spirits. Literally, I'm not, I'm not, that, like, that's not some metaphoric thing. He literally breathed into you the breath of life. And that breath of life has come to you through Adam. We have some DNA of God stuff in us. The animals don't have that. God is our father. He wants to be our father. And so, as you're reading the Old Testament, as you're going through your life, do you, are you fostering a relationship with God? Are you? And that's the whole point of the exile, is God is bringing the people of Israel back into relationship with him. And um, the cool thing, the, the, the beautiful part of the exile is that people did come back to him. Uh, God said to Jeremiah, you're, even beforehand, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. And during this time of exile, before it and during it, there's some really cool things that God's doing. He's up to it. He's just not about beating them into the dust. And, you know. But there's this explosion of God speaking to his people, being with his people. Uh, we see this in the, in, the, in the ministry of Daniel in Babylon. God's showing his heart and even amazing prophetic things about Israel and about history and about the Messiah to Daniel. We see the book of Esther happen during Babylon. And this explosion of messianic prophecy too. God saying, before in the Old Testament and the Torah and the, the uh, historical books, we see God talking about the Messiah a little bit here and there. But in these prophets, we see these really clear messianic prophecies. God's being clear. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Messiah. And another cool thing that happened that came out of the exile is the people, they recommitted their, their nation, themselves, to the study of the Torah. And we see that the whole Old Testament was kind of formed during this time of the exile, all these books started coming together. And when they move back to Israel, when the people finally go back, we see this um, really cool thing happen too. We call synagogues. There was no synagogues. People in their towns and, and villages in every place reading the word of God. Before, it was just like the priests and the scribes and the, and the temple. They had that to themselves. But now, the word of God is for everybody. In every town, in every village, every family, you're supposed to be imbibing God's words. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, in, in two weeks, Phil's going to talk about how all these prophetic things, this whole lining up series, really, it's all fulfilled in the Messiah. 
And so that's, that's coming in, uh, in two weeks, so don't, don't miss that. But in closing, and Ben, you can come on up, is your life shaped? Is your family shaped by God's character? Do you believe that God wants to redeem the dark areas of your life? Right? Do you believe God wants to have a relationship with you? These are the three things we've been hitting on. Do you believe it? Yes. Okay. Could I also, just curious, how many of you this past, this fall, have been in a real-life community group and have gone through this series with us? How many people have been in a group? Yeah? We, I was there? Come on, two boys right there. You were with me. Come on. Come on, guys. I see you. Uh, no, I went through this series with the youth. It was, re- it was really cool. Um, so, Scripture, yes, we should be imbibing it and learning these stories and vibing the character of God. But let me tell you, this is, you know, this is my thing. Community reinforces this stuff. We have to be in community. And, you know, there's different types of Bible studies. There's this or that. Be in community, y'all. And I'm super excited for the spring. Um, our, these fall groups are just ending this, this, uh, this last week and the coming week. Uh, the groups are coming to an end. And then we're going to start up a fresh uh, round of uh, groups in the spring. And I'm so excited because this is how we change. We imbibe the Word of God. We pray. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We change. But we need each other too. We need each other's support to change. And um, let me just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the exile. Thank you. You are faithful. You keep your promises, God. God, help us to become like you. Lord, help us to imbibe your word. Help us to get it deep into our soul, Lord. We need community, God, to reinforce your truths in our lives, God. I pray that you'd bless These folks, God, we love you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.